Very thankful all of you have come today. Take your Bibles and turn over to Luke chapter 11. We are making our way through the gospel of Luke. And in the process, some say, uh, why don't you skip around? Why don't you do topical messages? And the answer is because we really, really, really believe here that verse by verse through the scriptures teaches us the whole counsel of God's word. So where are we today? I think everybody in the room knows, except for visitors, this is your first time in a while or first time, uh, we're at the next verse, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. We finished chapter 10 last week and we move on. When we prioritize our day, what do we put at the top of our to-do lists? When we go to work, most of us have a list of things that are we are required to do. If we don't do them, we will get what? Fired. <laughs> we have certain duties that if we don't do them, there's going to be consequences. There are two duties of the Christian life that are extremely important. And each of us must do them. This is not uh, to set up some legalistic standard for you to try to accomplish and get yourself to heaven. These are just responsibilities that come with following Jesus. These are two spiritual disciplines that are mandatory for our survival in this world. These two requirements are repeated constantly throughout Scripture. They are seek God through His Word and seek God through prayer. The Bible gives numerous exhortations to accomplish these two deities. Again, they are not burdensome responsibilities. They are privileges. Praying and studying God's Word are not a drudgery. They are actually joyful privileges. In God's Word, 1 Peter chapter 2 says, Long for the pure milk of the Word, so that you may grow in respect to salvation. And then... In Deuteronomy 6, speak of, speaking of the law, God instructs Israel, you shall teach them, talking of the law, diligently to your sons and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, talking about the word of God, studying the word of God, teaching the word of God to your family. These are requirements in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament. In the early church, there was a commitment to the word. In Acts 2, 42, it says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Notice they studied God's word. This is a priority. It's a mandate. It's a spiritual discipline that must be done. Then, speaking of prayer, it's mentioned several times too. Psalm 32, 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. Matthew 5, 44. But I say to you, Jesus speaking, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And the famous verse most of us know. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing, all the time praying. 
2 Thessalonians 3, 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. And finally, James 5.13, is anyone, if in, is anyone among you suffering, then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. How many times have you been told, study your Bible and pray? Probably thousands, right? These are requirements. These are duties. These are privileges for us to do. It's where we find our joy as a Christian. This is what we do. These are two basic requirements for the Christian soldier. Seek God in his word and seek God in prayer. Yet, if we are all honest, we would we would all or we all would have to say these two privileges often become the bottom of our priority list, especially when we get busy. Is that true? When you who are students have tasks and things coming that are due, does it, do you find the amount of time that you spend in prayer and Bible study decrease? It shrinks and shrinks, and it's not quite that important. We who have families, and I know all of the ladies in here, Mike, you just don't understand. I have three kids under the age of five. How do I keep up with them? And still pray and read my Bible. Why is it that these two most basic requirements, the lifeblood of who we are, become a lack or a, a less than a priority? Today I'm thankful that our next passage in Luke reminds us to focus on prayer. We will see that it is a requirement and that we should be doing it and we should consider it a privilege. Jesus teaches us about prayer in the next couple messages as we go through Luke chapter 11. Let's look at our passage. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Let's read. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Very clear. Lord, help us now to understand it better. Help us to apply these truths to our lives. And God, we just want you to be glorified in all that we do. Please, Father, show yourself off to us and help us know you better. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. These are some very special verses found in Scripture because we see here a glimpse into the Lord's teaching on the subject of prayer. We can learn so much about prayer from just these few verses. My prayer is, is that as we cover these verses in this teaching over the next couple of weeks, there's some verses after also that talk about prayer. As we study this, that our own personal prayer life as a church will grow, that we will find the privilege of praying and we will be a praying church. 
So let's look at the setting first for the Lord's teaching on prayer. In verse 11, one, or in chapter 11, verse 1, it says, It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples to pray. Here we see at the very beginning of the verse, Jesus is praying again. This is a common theme through Luke. You can follow it along, Luke 5.16. You don't have to go there, but talks about Jesus praying. Luke 6.12 and Luke 9.28. Here again we see our Lord praying, petitioning, communing with the Father. Again, it is so easy and a simple application for us all to take. Very simple, not complicated here. If he, being the God-man, prays, don't you think we who are just men and women, ladies, should pray too? If him, being the God-man, the perfect righteous one, petitions and seeks the Father, don't you think we should? It's very common, very easy. Our Lord did it, we should do it, right? It's a privilege. Notice the effect of his praying, too. As Jesus is praying, what happens? After he had finished, one of his disciples comes to him and says, Teach us to pray. So what's the effect? His followers saw it, saw that he was all about petitioning the Lord. And this, by the way, is what a godly leader does. He models this spiritual discipline. And then his disciples want to know how he prayed. And what do we do? We want to do what you did. It's common. It's simple, isn't it? I mean, you can read that. Everybody would have got this. So how do we do, parents? <laughs> do we show prayer to our children? Do our, prayer, do our children see the priority of prayer in our lives? How about our roommates? How about our, do they look at us and say, man, this person prays. Teach me to pray. <laughs> They look at us and they see that we're all about talking with God. Do people actually look at you and say, Man, this guy talks to God all the time. Walked around, man, I see him. He's praying everywhere I go. He's praying again. This should be the pattern of our life. This is what we do. We talk to God. I'll never forget that time on the campus when people... I was made fun of. <laughs> it was good, though. Uh, the guy said, uh, the guy was watching me at night. I worked on campus ministry and was walking all over the campus. And at night, walking around on a dark campus, I had to pray because, to be honest, I'm a little scared. I'm a wimp. And, yes, I had my mace, but my pepper spray, but this is California, and I was afraid. So I prayed a lot. <laughs> I was afraid. <laughs> I constantly was talking, continually. Lord, how are you doing? What's going on? Help me here. Help me. There would be times where I'm walking, and I'm like, I felt like somebody was behind me, and I, you know, because you didn't get any sleep either the night before. And you're like, oh, just trying to stay awake. Lord, please help me. I remember we were sitting in the, the meeting, and, uh, the, the the main commander looked at me and said, I only have one problem with Mike. We need to be careful. He talks to himself. He walks around campus talking to himself. 
because he had been hiding, watching us. Folks, prayer is just who we are. We talk to God all the time. This is what Jesus did, and people should look at us just like they looked at Jesus and say, Hey, you pray a lot. How do you do that? What do you say? That's what Jesus happened. That's just what happened here. There's some debate over whether this is a parallel passage to the Matthew account in 6, 9 to 15. But I really don't believe it is. I think Jesus is teaching a common theme for at least the second time. He might have taught this numerous times. I mean, let's face it. How many times is prayer mentioned in the Bible? Continually. So what's he do? He's talking about prayer again. And it's not the exact same prayer. It's more of a model for what prayers look like. And so he does it again. He teaches. This is what we need to do with our children. I think sometimes it's fun to watch our children pray. Um, It's good to teach them and instruct them on how to pray. And what should we pray? And what's the importance of praying? This is what Jesus is doing to his disciples. Prayer. Teaching it. Simple, isn't it? You're like, oh, this is just, I've heard this. But do we do it? Is this is our life? Are we patterned as people of prayer? So today we're going to learn about prayer some more. Ladies and gentlemen, it should be our desire for the Lord to teach us more about prayer. If we know Jesus as our Lord, then we will want to be taught by him. So today we're going to look at eight elements. We might not get through them all, but we'll do what we can of prayer given by our Lord as he instructed his disciples. Let's look at the first element. First, I want you to notice the Lord acknowledges his disciples learn to pray. Look what the guy said. He said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. Jesus didn't say, hey, you already know how to. Do it. Right? He answers his question. And he answers it with the plural. And he taught him. And he said to them, which implies what? He's teaching all of them. It wasn't just one clueless disciple that comes up and says, Hey, I don't know how to pray. He teaches them. So learning to pray is what we have to do. As believers, we learn how to pray. He said this. But I want you to notice something. Jesus' teaching on prayer here is not overly complex. I mean, this was not a passage in a section of Scripture that I grappled a long time over this week to figure out. This wasn't one of those, oh, man, pre-mill, ah-mill, oh, is this post-trib, pre-trib. Not those difficult things. This is not a hard passage. It's pretty simple, right? You can basically get the gist. It's interesting. We, uh, most of us over the church history have recited the Lord's Prayer over and over. As a matter of fact, even in my uh, growing up days, this is one of the prayers I learned growing up in my very extremely liberal church that I went to, an Episcopalian church growing up. I was taught the Lord's Prayer. But it's, it's, so it's not something complicated. This is not really uh, difficult. To learn how to pray is pretty simple. But the depth of it and how deep your prayer can go from it, the implications are staggering. 
There's lots more that can be learned as we go along. Praying is learned, but it doesn't have to be overly complex. I don't want you to walk out of this building saying tonight or today, hmm, do I have to say all of that? Or do I have to understand all of that in order to pray? No, pray. Seek the Lord. You learn to pray, but it's not overly complex. So as we study our prayer from the study prayer from our master the next couple of weeks, we will have no excuses for avoiding prayer. It's not hard, it's not complex. These are things we just can learn to do and do it. Prayer just needs to be done. So how do you do? How well do you pray? How often do you pray? You seek the Lord. Notice the next element of prayer given by the Lord. The Lord assumes the Lord assumes a commitment to prayer by his disciples. Look what it says, that little phrase, when you pray, say. You could translate this, when you are continually in prayer, you are saying. What's his point? Prayer is not an option for the follower of Jesus. Prayer is a way of life. This is what we do. This is our life. We are about communing with God constantly. It's not something that we maybe decide, oh, I think I'll pray today. It is who we are. When you pray, it assumes what? You're already doing it. When you pray, disciples, you're already praying. How many of you pray? Hopefully all of you. (laughs) You should be praying all the time. This is what disciples do. We talk to our God. We pray. We don't seek him with just memorized prayers either, by the way. And it's important to note, as a matter of fact, Jesus taught this about prayer before he explains this, uh, the Lord's Prayer in another spot, Matthew 6. Look at this. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Now, what's the point here? I find it ironic. Don't you find it ironic that we say the Lord's Prayer often? It becomes one of those things that we just kind of say it. I remember saying it over and over in my liberal church. I'd say this same thing. And I know I'm not saying that you shouldn't ever say that, okay? I'm not saying stop reciting the Lord's Prayer. But that is not his point. His point is to give us a model of what it looks like, a, a, a sketch of prayer life, not give you words that you repeat out of meaningless repetition to try to be religious. That's not what this is about. Jesus is not saying that. The prayer Jesus assumed the disciples were engaged in is a prayer of genuine seeking God, talking to him, communing with him. It is, and write this down, intentional, specific prayer. Talking to God with intention. The follower of Jesus is fully aware, often, just how needy they are. And they are thus intentional in seeking God with petitions. We too must have this intentional, specific commitment to prayer. We must set aside time to pray. We must pray specifically the way our Lord taught his disciples to pray. 
We must not just use meaningless religious words and check the little dot or click the little to-do list. That's not what it's about either. If y'all are anything like me, how many of you, I know there's some real structured people in the room, and then there's the, the real disciplined, structured, you've got everything lined out, you probably know exactly what you're going to do, and then you've got the people like me in the room that kind of just go, and whatever comes, oh, there, I'm supposed to do that, oh, there, I'm supposed to do that. Yeah, that's kind of me, I'm the, you know, I need to be a lot more intentional with my prayers. I have to go against some of that fly by the seat of your pants mentality, okay? I have to be intentional in my prayer. The reality is is that those that have more of a spontaneous nature, we do have to be very intentional. But at the same time, those that are methodical and have a checklist, you don't always get specific. You just say words. I did it. I accomplished it. So it's both. It's not meaningless repetition, and it's not just, oh, well, I'll do it when I get around to it. It's intentional, specific prayer. That's what prayer is. It's taking time to commune with God. And Jesus assumes this. Prayer is not just a religious act. Prayer is communion with God. When we pray, we must assume that he is listening. Let's move on. Third, the Lord draws attention to the new relationship with God in prayer. Oh, this is, this is obviously a hot button for me right now. Notice it says, say, Father, Jesus says, say, Father. As many of you know, I'm on somewhat of a search of passages that point to our adoption by God as his children. And the more I search the scriptures, the more I find this concept. It's everywhere. Even here, we begin to see Jesus pointing the disciples to this new relationship available to them with God. He says, call God your father. In the Old Testament, this concept of God being the father of Israel is only used 14 times in the Old Testament. And in those cases, it appears to focus on God as the father of the group or the larger group. Not God as the father of the individual. Yet when we come to the New Testament, this concept of God being our father is everywhere. And I challenge you, take time as you're reading through the New Testament. Every time you find one of these, you're reading through, and you find one of these references to this new relationship, shoot me a text or an email or something. Reminded me of another spot where this relationship with God is father and child. I believe this new relationship hinges on Jesus' incarnation and his life and his death and his resurrection. It's the new covenant relationship. Yet here Jesus is already pointing his followers to this new relationship with God. Call him father. This word, father, would have been shocking to his Jewish listeners of Jesus' day. God was considered to be separate from mankind, not approachable. And if approachable, it should be with veiled, covered eyes, with not even speaking God's name. This is why the Jews had changed every place in the Bible where God's name was given and put in Lord. 
In the Greek translation of the Bible before Jesus' day, the Septuagint, every time God's name is used, it's replaced with a Greek title, Lord or God, instead of using Yahweh. They didn't want to say his name. And the Jews at that time had thought, okay, God's so unapproachable, so distant, so holy, so perfect, I can't even come before him. So when Jesus says, call God Father, it would have been shocking to them. Just, what? Father? Yeah, Father. There are even manuscripts in the Hebrew where the scribes would not even write out the name of God. God was considered unreachable, unknowable, totally separate from them, and even his own people. But Jesus was saying to the disciple, address God as your father. Staggering. There's obviously intimacy involved here. Now, I know this title, Father, even in our own culture, carries with it bad concepts in our minds, don't they? Many of us have a wrong image of that title, Father. This is not what is in view here with Jesus. Jesus himself addresses God as Father. The title Father carries with it much love and kindness and grace and approachability. Often if we were not raised in a loving Christian home, we have in our minds that Father is this stern, mean, angry, hot-tempered, unloving, harsh man in the home that leads by a rod. That's not what this is supposed to image here. The wrong image of Father is even in our culture. We must be different. The title Father Jesus had in mind carries with it the following concepts. The Father was strong, yet a gentle leader in the home. The father was wise, yet kind in the home. The father was one any of his children at any time could come up to him at any time and say, Daddy, that's the concept of father. The father was the one who provided for his home. The father was the one who led his home like a shepherd. The father was the example for his home. The father was any of his children was the one that any of his children could at any time come curl up in his lap and sit there and talk to their daddy. That's what he's talking about here. Father, approachable, intimate. When Jesus told his disciples to address God as their father, he was saying, God is your intimate, approachable, heavenly daddy. Go to him and call him that. I confess, just even reading this. So here I am. I'm supposed to teach my kids to pray. And the first word out of their mouth, the first concept is Father. And what's the first thing they think if you say Father to them? Probably thinking about me. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Every dad in here should be quaking in your boots at this moment. You are their initial image of God? Oh, what a responsibility. They call God Daddy, Father, when they know Him. Man, your portrait of the title Father, the one that you paint, 
will affect their prayer life forever. Did you hear that? Can you imagine? That's a huge responsibility. I need the Lord. How about you? They say, Father, their image of Father is you. Wow, that's intense. Now, there is hope. (laughs) Even if we totally blow it, even if you have a totally corrupted view of fatherhood, the Bible informs you who a true father is. God is revealed as that father. That is the one that we reach out to. But I confess one of my greatest prayers is, Father, help me be like you. Help me be a father like you so that my children will see a father and will seek you. The next element of prayer is given by our Lord is the Lord stresses the main thing in the disciples' prayer. Notice, this says, Father, hallowed be your name. This literally means, Father, may all that you are, your glory, be made known and exalted. That's what hallowed be your name means. Okay? How many of you said that before? You've repeated those words, hallowed be your name. You've said it, right? And said, I have absolutely no idea what I'm saying. That would be meaningless repetition. Did it several times. Religious, but meaningless repetition, right? Saying those words. How many of you say Christianese words all the time? Don't even know what they mean? This is one of the reasons why we do verse by verse and explain what words mean. See, matter. Concepts, very important. What does hallowed be your name mean? It means, Father, may you be honored, revered, reverenced based on who you are, your name, your character. May you be exalted. God, may you be exalted and reverenced and respected and praised. We are to seek for God to be shown off to the world. Notice how this starts. Father, show yourself off to the world in effect. Father, may you be exalted and glorified. It's about you. We pray, may you, Father, be revealed for who you are. How holy you are. How beautiful you are. How gracious you are. Show yourself off, God. This is prayer. God, show yourself. We are praying for God to show his glory and be praised. This happens when we demonstrate him, by the way. While when we follow him and the spirit of God works in us and we are filled with the Holy Spirit, controlled by him, and we demonstrate God's work in us, we then demonstrate God's glory, right? Okay, so, by the way, we say... Hallowed be your name. God be glorified. How is God glorified in this world? How does that happen? What would be the answer to your prayer? Did you hear me? If you say, God, I want you to be exalted. I want you to be glorified. What would be the answer to that? How about this one? This is how, this is how he could answer you. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the things in which you're slandered as an evildoer, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe the deeds, glorify God in the day of visitation. Okay, you know what you're praying when you're saying, God, be glorified. 
realize what you're praying a little bit. It might mean that you might be slandered as an evildoer for keeping your behavior excellent so that people will see the difference and say, when God works in their heart, God, you're amazing. That's what we're saying. When we say, God, may your name be exalted, it means, it can, it could mean that we could suffer. We could struggle a little bit. Does that mean stop praying that? No, we want our Father to be shown off, don't we? How many of us want God to be shown off in the room? Yes, everybody. Do you really want it? Even if it means some struggle, some trials, so that he can be exalted. That's what First Peter's talking about. Hallowed be your name. May you be exalted. This is what we're praying. So God be glorified in me and in this church, no matter what it takes to show off your glory. Jesus acknowledges. So we've seen he acknowledges prayer is learned. We assume he assumes that prayer is a part of the true disciple's life. Jesus draws attention to this new relationship with the father and he stresses God's glory and honor. Fifth, I want you to notice, the Lord calls for an eternal perspective in prayer. Your kingdom come. Here Jesus says, ask for the Father's kingdom to come. Now, this is tricky. Now, as you know, Jesus was the king, right? And the king and the kingdom was where? There, because the king was there. Why then is Jesus saying, Father... May your kingdom come. Well, it's because he's alluding to his second coming, most likely. The return, when everything is set straight. His first coming was not to judge the world, but to save the world. The second coming will be for all righteousness to be revealed and his kingdom to be established. When Jesus returns, the kingdom will be established on earth and the curse and evil will be dealt with. Jesus is saying, ask God to establish this rule on the earth. This is like saying, God, please do away with evil. Have your righteous judgment on display. Rule without hindrance. How many of us want that? I want it. Pray it. Ask it. This is truly an eternal perspective for prayer. Thinking of the future. It's not just a prayer for only the focuses of the present time. It has an eye on God's glory in the future. Now, folks, listen to me so closely. What is the main reason why you pray? You don't have to answer it out loud. I want you to think. What is the main reason why you pray? If we're all honest in the room, we probably start with prayer because we have a need. Often, I need something, God, please help. I need something, please help. Does that provoke us and motivate us to pray often? How many of you? Yes, that's good. I'm not saying that's bad. But here is Jesus telling them about prayer, and he says start with God's glory and the eternal perspective first. The focus should be on God's glory and what's best for God And that he come back and rule and reign in righteousness above our own needs. 
Now, it doesn't mean that he doesn't address our needs. Addressing our needs are good, but often we start with the opposite, don't we? We start with, what can you do for me? When in fact, we should do what? God, show yourself off. It's about you. It's not about me. That's what he does in prayer. Lord, may your name be exalted. May your kingdom come. May you rule. Often our prayers, though, are we pray so that the things that we want to control will happen. And yet he's praying here and telling us to pray, rather. Pray for God's control to be established and for God's rule to be the ruling authority. Oh, folks, I cannot stress you. This is convicting. It should be convicting for you. How many times do we pray because a situation that we think should go a different way should go a different way, so we pray, God, fix this, change this. That is not your will be done or your kingdom come. That is, may my will be done. Father, help it happen. You see the difference? It's a startling difference. Jesus says, Humbly come before God with the purpose of seeing God to be glorified. It's not about you. Oh, wait, 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 wait. When we think of prayer, don't we often think it's about us? How many times do we go to prayer for us? Now, I'm not saying that you don't lift up your needs. You'll see it in a second. But our, the glory of God should be our priority, right? God be exalted should be our main focus. And that's what he starts with. Shouldn't we start with that? Jesus does de- deal with the present needs. But his first focus is God's glory and the eternal perspective. In a sense, this prayer for God to be exalted in his fullest. It is a prayer that is aware of the proper order of things. God first, then us. Is the exaltation of God a priority in your prayer? Are we all here now and self-focused? Are we about us now? Or are we about the glorification of God? Do we want Jesus to be exalted? Or do we want our needs to be met? Again, we can summarize this whole prayer up to this point this way. Because we know God is our Father, we naturally seek him to be exalted. And our main request is God be glorified the greatest way you can. I want you, my heavenly Father, to be known and shown off. That's what I want. Now, how many of us pray like that? <laughs> the tendency will be to take something like this and to try to tack that on at the beginning of your prayer. <laughs> so, okay, I'm going to start doing this. God, please be glorified. You know, how many of y'all read that book uh, back when it came out? We won't mention the author's name. Uh, the Prayer of Jabez. Remember? Yeah, pray the four things. Pray those four things. The problem was is it became just, okay, I did it. I checked it. I did it. I got those four things. I remember my prayer life and looking in my prayer journal. Ooh, said all four things again. I did all four things again. It wasn't really thought on, meditated, comprehended. I wasn't really 
seeking the exaltation of God. I was just doing the rope. Oh, got the four things. <laughs> Did the four things. Prayed the four things. It's not what it's about, guys. <laughs> Look, folks. This is... I thought of a neat illustration. I, I probably will bomb it, but we'll see what we can do. This is like Daddy's Day at school. You know what Daddy's Day at school... Y'all, any of y'all remember Daddy's Day? Daddy's Day was, when I was growing up, you could bring your daddy in, and he would tell about what he did. You know, it was your day to kind of show off your daddy. If your daddy, whatever he did, it was the moment that you said, this is my dad, this is what he does, this is what he's all about. This is like that little boy that comes up to his daddy on right before Daddy's Day, and he says, Daddy... Will you come to Daddy's Day? Daddy, I want my friends to know who you are and what you're all about. I want you to be shown off. I want the world, I want my class, my friends to know what you're all about. That's what Jesus is saying. Father, may you be exalted. That should be our prayer. Daddy, show yourself off to this world. May all the world go, wow, you have an amazing daddy. It's about you, God. Folks, this is our prayer. We know God as our father. He's our daddy. We want him to be shown off every day. It's about him. We know his glory. We know his holiness. We know his his kindness and gentleness. And we want him to show himself off. And we want the kingdom to come. So no more blockage. No more sin. No more darkness. We want Jesus. We want God to be shown off. Folks, is this what your prayer's like? Is this what your prayer life's about? No, you're probably like me. That find myself and very convicted by this. I got my needs. And even needs for our congregation. I mean, we can fall into this in the, in, you know, the prayer list. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? We all fall into this trap. It's not just about here and now and the needs. It's about God being glorified. Now, it does include needs. Notice the next one. The Lord exalts the disciples to pray for their basic needs. Here we see Jesus acknowledges we are needy people. We need provision. We need food. In this case, this is the most basic of needs for the human being, bread. Jesus does not say here, though, I need lots of money. I need a big car. I need a big house, a fast car. Jesus says, give us what we need today. There could be an assumption again that this is going to be prayed daily. Why? Give us each day our daily bread. You could even translate it, give us today our daily bread. What's that assume? We should be praying for this every day. Folks, we take this for granted in our society, though, don't we? I mean, let's face it. How many of you are worried about what you're going to eat today? Probably not many of us. We've pretty much got it figured out, right? 
Most of us have plenty of food in the shelter, in the thing. And even if it's not the greatest meal, we do have some beans or something in there. Jesus' day was different. This would mean a lot more. They lived day to day in many ways. They needed bread every day. And they had to depend on God. We take those things for granted. By the way, just because we have these doesn't mean that we don't still need God to provide these. Because you can lose it all tomorrow. I promise. We could lose it all. God could take it all away in a split second. You know why I know? Because he's God. And he's sovereign. And if he wanted to, he could take every bit of it away at any time. So we should pray. We should seek him for our daily needs. The good news is, is that God wants to provide these daily needs. He wants to give it to you. So we ask him, God, please help us with our daily provisions. Again, avoid falling into the trap of asking for exact, um, things that are not necessary. And y'all have all heard the wants and the needs correlation, right? Right now our, our we is on the fritz. It died a quart or something. It's about a month ago it died. Um, question is, should we get another we? Well, it's definitely just a want. It's not a need. Not something to pray for. That's just me. As a matter of fact, if we're praying for it, we need to really step back and ask, why? Is it that most, that important? No, it's not. It's easy for Daddy to say that. It's much harder for the kids, right? The reality is, is Daddy might say the same thing about his car. Yes, we need this car. <laughs> if it broke down tomorrow, do we really need it? I think we need to evaluate what our needs. This is what he tells us to pray for. What do we really need? Because his glory is what's most important, right? Just the daily needs. Is, that's really all we need. Necessities. Then the Lord encourages the disciples to seek forgiveness for their sin. He says, forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Which will be the eighth point. I really, again, don't want to overthink this part of the model prayer that Jesus gives here. It's simple. Ask God to forgive you for your sins. I think it does have specifics laid in there. We're not just saying a general, oh, God, take care of everything. If there is conviction for a specific sin, I think we ought to do it. By the way, Jesus is teaching them to do this. This does not mean that Jesus ever prayed this. Jesus never, ever prayed this prayer. So it's not the Lord's prayer. It's actually the disciples' prayer given from the Lord. He didn't need forgiveness because he was righteous. Again, there's two aspects of forgiveness here, and I think this one is talking about the relational forgiveness, not positional forgiveness. Let me explain what I mean by that. When you repent and believe in Jesus, all of your sins are paid for. You are declared right. Every sin you did in the past and every sin you will do in the future is taken care of, finished, paid for. You are declared right with God forgiven positionally 
You are now a child of God. You've turned from your sins. You've trusted in Christ to save you, so all of your sin is paid for. But here he's talking to a disciple. And he's saying, pray for forgiveness. Does that mean that they weren't forgiven before? The disciple. No, I think they were already declared right, but there is a sense where the relationship takes a hit with sin. It's just like a father with his kid. My children, when they do something harsh or do something evil towards me, they don't stop being my child. Positionally, they are my child. But they need continuous forgiveness and restoration of relationship. The reestablishment of an intimate personal relationship with God. This is what he's talking about here. We are not perfect. We still sin. And we are going to continuously seek God for forgiveness. But we don't stop being his child. You couldn't say, Father, forgive me for my sin, if your sins had not been paid for. <laughs> And you were right with God. You can't say that. You can't, be, you can't even approach God if your sin is not right. Do you understand? So there's a beginning positional forgiveness. And then there's an ongoing forgiveness. An intimate relationship. Enjoying my daddy's fellowship. And then there's this little phrase. And I think I'm going to stop here. Because that will give you a whole week to think about it. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So I did this before, and I like the effect, so I'm going to do it again. So does God forgive you only if you forgive other people? Does God forgive you only if you forgive other people? In other words, if you haven't forgiven somebody else, God won't forgive you. So if you don't do that work of forgiving people, then you won't be forgiven by God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and grace to us. Help us to think on your word. Father, we need you. We are needy people. We need our basic needs, our daily needs. We need your word. We need the spirit to work in us. But most of all, we want you to be glorified. We want you to be exalted, God. We praise you and thank you. And we commit the rest of our day to you. Show your glory off in us. Daddy, it's your day. May you be exalted. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.